So, so I want to talk to you about one of the most important aspects of our liberty in Christ, and that is staying free. Because what, what good is it if Jesus has set us free that we voluntarily go back into a state of, of bondage? I mean, who volunteers to, to break into prison? You know, people in prison, men and women in prison, they dream about being free. And even, even repeat offenders or, or, criminal, or career criminals, you know, they, they don't want to get caught and put back in prison because freedom is that valuable, right? So I want to talk to you about staying free this morning. I mean, you ask yourself the question, well, who, who would voluntarily want, want to go back into bondage? Who, who would want to not be free? Who, who would want to elect to be, to be enslaved instead of being free? But isn't that exactly what the children of Israel desired? Isn't that what they wanted when they expressed their thoughts uh, in, uh, in the book of Exodus? I mean, how many times repeatedly over and over again did they elect to go back into Egypt? Though they were delivered out of Egyptian bondage for 400 years, they were slaves. And when they were set free, for, for some reason, they, they felt that, that being with Moses in the wilderness wasn't as good as it was to be back in Egypt. You know what it is? They had selective memory. Uh, they remembered, the Bible says, the, the fish that they ate freely. They remembered the, the melons, the leeks, the garlics, the, uh, the stuff that they ate. But they forgot about how hard and how cruel living in Egyptian bondage was. Selective memory. You know, a little bit more than uh, about 100 years ago, and that's not that long ago. You know, I was, I was telling my wife the other day, and we, we both have grandmothers or had grandmothers when they were alive. They were born in the 1800s, 1880, you know, and it's like 100 and something years ago. It's not the, just a couple of generations ago. And a couple of generations ago, everybody had in their medicine chest a l- little bottle like this of wonder, healing, miracle stuff, Right? Uh, you applied it to, if you had a wound, you could apply it topically to your wound. Uh, if you had stomach problems, you know, it's like for whatever it was that, that ailed you, you would take a spoonful of that goodness, you know. Uh, that silvery little liquid that's in the bottle, we know it today as mercury. People were ingesting and putting on their bodies mercury, this toxic poison uh, and they thought that they were doing themselves good. I mean, th- they were to apply it to their children, and, and, and they'd have it in the house. And, and, and we know it now. It wasn't good for them. It was deadly. In fact, it was, it was toxic. And here's the thing. I believe that, that many people believe that following the law, following the rules and the regulations, or legalism, uh, for another way of defining it, is somehow a good thing. You know, of, of, of wanting to do the right thing is, is, is a good thing. And therefore, the understanding that my acceptance before God is based upon performance, that really is a poison that works against the life of the Spirit for the child of God that's in Christ Jesus. Legalism kills. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit, the Bible says, gives life. Jesus was constantly running into problems with legalistic religious people, you know. I mean, how, how many times would, would, would they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath because he would heal someone on the Sabbath, you know. Uh, the Pharisees were, were, so, were so strict about their policies of not wanting, so fearful about breaking the laws of God 
that, that by uh, creating these, these rules and regulations, th- they were in fact violating the very spirit of, of the word. Jesus taught and said, said you don't realize that, that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created, was made for man, right? On this one occasion, Jesus was pointing out the cold, hard deadness of, of religious legalism. He said that there was a man who was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, beat him up, and took his money, wounded him, leaving him half dead. Remember the story, right? And there was a priest, and there was a Levite who passed by, saw the man, and didn't get involved, right, uh, to point out that they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean. They, they, they didn't get involved in their cold-heartedness. Their, their letter of the law kills. Uh, Christopher is 15 years old, playing in Chicago with a couple of his buddies, shooting hoops about a block away from Ravenswood Hospital. Three gangbangers come up to him and, for no apparent reason, shoot him in the abdomen. He's bleeding out. His frantic friends pick him up and begin carrying him toward the hospital. They get to within about 30 feet of the hospital. They lay him down and they run into the hospital and they say, our friend's been shot. Would you come and please help him? You know, please, we need, he's dying. And, and, and the staff on the ER said, we can't. There's a, there's a hospital policy that we're not allowed to treat anyone outside of the hospital he has to be in the hospital for an order. For, and, and this went on for a, for a few minutes. And, and finally, when, when Christopher, 15, was finally brought into the hospital, carried into the hospital, it was too late. He died. At first, the administration was vehement in defending the policy of, of the ER staff until there was such a barrage coming from the community of outrage that Ravenswood hospital changed their policy and they would now help people who were even on the outside of the hospital too late for Christopher because the letter of the law kills but it's the spirit that gives life got a great quote from Tim Keller pastor of Redeemer Church in uh, New York City Uh, he's an author and uh, great speaker he's just I, I love this statement. It so focuses the light upon the subject that I'm communicating to you this morning. He said this. He said, legalism is the fundamental default of the human heart. Legalism is the fundamental default of the human heart. In other words, it is what our hearts gravitate to naturally, to, to the law, to, to legalism, to to a perspective of of acceptance based upon performance. From the moment Adam and Eve transgressed and fell, and they ran and they hid themselves, the very first act of trying to compensate for these new feelings of guilt and condemnation and shame that they had was to create, was to make, sow fig leaves together. At least, at least, It'll help us feel better about ourselves. It'll help us deal with the emotions that we've never had before of guilt and and shame. It is now based upon this relationship with God. Instead of it being by 
the unconditional love of the creator who created them for love and by love, it's now relating to God on the basis of obedience and the basis of my attempt to be pleasing to God. What is meant by the human heart default is set upon legalism. Uh, uh, many of you have, uh, you, you send out emails, you, you even, you know, uh, text message and, and uh, mostly like with a Word document, you know, you want to create a Word document. You open up the Word document, even if it's a brand new computer, you know, you open up a Word like Microsoft Word and uh, you want to send out, you want to type up a letter, right? All of the preset issues on that page are, 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 are set on default. That is, they're already formatted. The, the, the line spacing, uh, the, uh, the, the, the margins, uh, the, the very font type and the very font size is all preset. That, that is formatted. And if you want to change the default setting, you've got to purposely go in to the formatting and, and purposely change that. When we come to Jesus Christ, we need to be reformatted. We need to be, have the, the default of a heart reset, not upon this idea of we're accepted on the basis of our performance, but rather we're accepted because of the unconditional love of God. My uh, beautiful wife, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Uh, she is beautiful, isn't she? But that's not the only reason why I married her was because when I met her at the age of 19, she was, she still is, incredibly smart. I said to myself, I finally found a girl who is awesome looking, but who is smarter than me. I need that in my life. I mean, I need somebody who is smarter than me. I mean, you want, you know, you want to go up. You don't want to go down, right? So, so, you know, I was really attracted to her. And her mom, uh, Kay, when she was alive, my mother-in-law would tell me stories about how bright Kathy was when she was a baby, and when she was like 18 months old. Now, most toddlers, right, uh, they, they don't start putting sentences together until around two years old, right? At 18 months, my mother-in-law would still, you know, after all those years, brag about how smart her little genius was, you know, that she would identify presidents in a book, right? She knew the name of the the governor of New York, the lieutenant governor. I mean, who knows the name of the lieutenant governor? At 18 months old, this bright little girl, right? So whenever her proud, you know, mother and father had company come over, whenever family came over, whenever friends came over, the entertainment for the night was to call little cute little genius Kathy over. And Kathy would begin to perform, and everybody would smile and laugh, and, and everybody would say how adorable she is and how, and how lovely she is, and mom and dad were so proud of her. And what they were doing was, unknowingly, they were reinforcing, they were feeding the default setting of the heart that's based upon performance. Without even realizing it, they were creating monster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They were creating somebody who would be dependent upon, upon the approval of others for acceptance. I mean, even into her adult years, I, I remember my father-in-law, he'd come out, come visit us, and he would quiz her. He would ask her trivial, tri- trivia questions. He, he would give her brain teasers to try to figure it out. 
Now, here's the thing. Now, no matter how smart you are, nobody knows all the answers. You're bound to be stumped once in a while. And so, without even realizing it, the perception of yourself is, is rejection because you didn't know the answer, because you didn't have the right response. And that's what legalism is. Let me, let me share, share a definition of legalism with you. Legalism is seeking to achieve acceptance and forgiveness with God through obedience. It's seeking to attain acceptance through human effort and performance. It's the belief that I can become holy and please God by obeying laws. Spirituality then is measured by a list of do's and don'ts. And listen, listen, this is why this is so important. And I've got a statement that I'm going to put up on the, on the screen for you. This is so important. It is possible for you as a believer, it's possible to believe doctrinally that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, yet fundamentally and experientially live the Christian life relying exclusively on one's own effort and performance. Let that just sink into your mind for a minute. Let me read it again. It's possible to believe, that, to have it right, that you're saved by grace through faith alone, and yet fundamentally and experientially live this Christian life relying exclusively upon your own effort and your own performance. You know, like, how you doing this week? I'm doing real good. I've been in my Bible, you know. I've been praying a lot, you know, based upon your performance. What's wrong with that answer is it's not looking to the one who saves us. By grace, through faith, it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. If I obey, therefore, I am accepted. Thus, the theological trap was snared for the Galatian believers. And Paul the Apostle is writing as a spiritual father. The book of Galatians was written for this purpose, to reset the default setting of their hearts when they first believed the gospel and received the grace of God. So, so this letter to the Galatians is all about resetting and reformatting their hearts. Somebody had come among them and had been tampering with the default settings. Somehow or another, they began to believe that Jesus Christ and circumcision was essential for salvation, that Jesus Christ and church attendance was essential for salvation, that Jesus Christ and Bible reading and, and prayer, and you list a whole bunch of other things that all of those things were essential. Jesus plus my obedience brings about salvation. And they were convinced of that. And Paul said, man, who has bewitched you? Who has blinded you from the cross of Christ? Before whose eyes Jesus had been apparently crucified? I ask you this one question, Paul says, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh, in your humanness? The one who works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's the question. And so Paul, wanting to get this across to them, that we are saved by grace through faith alone, undeserving. You know, I'll never tire of the definition of what grace is. It's, 
is unearned and undeserved and, and even unsought for. We didn't seek it. It came seeking us. I wasn't seeking after God. God sought me and found me. You know, that expression, I found God. It's not the way it goes. He comes, he leaves the 90 and 9 and comes seeking for us. He searches the house until that which is lost is found. So we want to look at the letter to the Galatians beginning in chapter 5 and verse 1. And you can follow along with us up on the screen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Then And do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. We sang about freedom this morning. The gospel is all about freedom. The ministry of Jesus is all about freedom. He said he came to set liberty those that were bound, to open up the prison doors. It's all, the, I mean, the gospel is punctuated with words and phrases that deal with our liberty and our freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Tell you what, if the devil can't get you to sin and to fall in that manner, he'll get you to become a Pharisee. The Pharisees are the same yesterday, today. Maybe not forever, but, but they've been around. You know what a Pharisee is? A Pharisee is the one whose performance means I'm accepted by God. Um, Doug said before he saw the cane, he said, you're going to make fun of me? I said, yep. Uh, Pharisee. If you dove into home base when you didn't have to, and you wound up tearing your ligament in your knee, and you, you saw Doug a few weeks ago, probably about six weeks ago now, come in to church on a Sunday on the Sabbath with crutches. Well, the Pharisees believe that even if you are walking on crutches or you're walking with a cane, you know, uh, that would be too close to plowing on the Sabbath. So you could use the crutches or you could use your cane six days a week, but on the Sabbath you couldn't use your cane because you might make an indentation in the ground and a seed might happen to fall into it, and that would be violating the Sabbath. So that's how strict the Pharisees. In fact, there was a sect of the Pharisees who were called the bloody Pharisees. And the reason why they were called the bloody Pharisees was because like horses, they wore blinders over their eyes and they were constantly bumping into stuff lest they should look at a woman and desire a woman. So, so they would walk around and they were called the bloody Pharisees for that very reason. How ridiculous. And the Pharisees are among us today. Did you hear what Mayor Bloomberg wants to do in New York City? No restaurant, if he gets his way, no restaurant will be able to sell soda more than 16 ounces because he wants to do a good thing. He wants to fight obesity, and therefore you can buy three or four or five 16-ounce bottles of soda, but you can't buy a 32-ounce bottle of soda. I mean, how dumb can you be and still breathe? I ask you that. Is that really going to help? You know, the fact of the matter is that the more laws you create, it's like, it's like I was telling my wife about a hotel that was built in Galveston, Texas. And it was actually, Galveston, Texas is like on the, 
on the very rim of, I guess it's the Gulf of Mexico. And the hotel was actually built out into the water. The pilings were actually driven into the water. And the hotel stood out over against the water. So when they had the grand opening, they put signs in the rooms, no fishing from the windows. Who would have thought about fishing from the windows when you check into a hotel? The signs, in fact, created the problem, and there, and there were fish flopping against the, 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 the dining room windows. And, and so some, somebody with half a brain says, let's take down the signs. And when they took down the signs, they t- took down the law, nobody was violated. No, nobody would even think about checking into a hotel to fish from the window. I mean, how dumb can you be, right? Verse 2, Paul says this, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Christ will be of none effect. The cross will be of none effect. Whoever of you seeks to be justified by the works of the law. Again, verse 3 says, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. Notice that. They were being convinced by these what were called Judaizers who would come among them and say you need Christ and circumcision in order to be saved. So Paul is saying if you allow, if you let yourself be circumcised, if you let this false teaching be rooted in your hearts, then you're obligated, he says, to obey the whole law. If you're trying to be justified by law, you have been alienated from Christ and you've fallen from grace. What an image of Falling from grace. You know, the secular press uses this term falling from grace when they want to talk about somebody, a leader in the, in the Christian movement who, is, who has gotten off into some area of overt sin, adultery or something like that. And they say, he's fall- no, that's not what falling from grace is. Falling from grace is going from the covenant of grace to the covenant of works. The covenant of grace is his way up here. There's none higher. There's none closer to the heart of God than the blood of the everlasting covenant that is sealed in the grace of God. To fall from that is to go down back into the Old Testament of ceremonial law, of keeping dates and times and and, and occasions. And, And Christ has set us free from that. That's why Jesus sets us free. Any attempt to add to that is an insult to the goodness of God and to the spirit of grace. So, man, this is serious. This is so serious. Paul Paul starts off this sober letter in chapter 1, and let me just read a couple of verses to you, by by showing you the seriousness. Paul doesn't normally speak this way. He's got a father's heart, but listen to what he says in Galatians 1, verse 6 6 through 9. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Paul doesn't talk this way. But Paul is saying if if anyone preaches any other gospel, it's not really a gospel, it's not really good news at all, then let him be eternally condemned. And he says it again in verse 9. 
as we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Serious stuff. To go into legalism is to fall from grace. But you know, that is the natural gravitational pull of the human heart. It's the default setting until we've been reformatted by the, by the Holy Spirit who wants to change the perception that we're no longer to be accepted on the basis of our performance, but simply because we're loved by God. And I'll, I'll t- talk to you more about that in a minute. But how, how many remember the, the movie uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. That was the second movie. You, you may have seen that. Oh, this is this is great scene, right? With with uh, two of the pirates in in the first film, uh, these these pirates were part of the cursed pirates that that couldn't die, you know. But by the end of the first film, the curse was removed, and and these two guys are in jail, and they're in a a longboat or in a, a rowboat, right? And uh, one of them is happening to be reading the Bible, but it's upside down, right? And there's a conversation that takes place between them. I wanted to share that conversation with you. Okay, so, 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 so they're, they're rowing toward, uh, toward Cannibal Island in pursuit of uh, stealing uh, the, uh, the Black Pearl, okay? So, so one says to the other, well, I say that it was divine providence what escaped us from jail. He's, he's reading the Bible. It's upside down. Divine providence. I mean, this guy doctrinally, you know, uh, he's a court short, but doctrinally, he's doing all right, you know. So, so the other responds. He says, I say it was me being clever that got us out of jail. And, and there's a dog that's in this scene with keys in its mouth, right? And he looks over at the dog and he says, ain't that right, Poochie, you know? Uh, he says, well, he says in response, he says, well, how do you know it wasn't divine providence? What inspired you to be clever? Again, just doctrinally, really pretty good, you know? And he says, by the way, I ain't stealing anymore. And he says, it ain't stealing. It's, it's salvaging, you know? And, and since when do you care, you know? I mean, you've been a pirate all your life. Since when do you care about stealing? He says, since we're no longer immortal, that's why. He says, we got to take care of our immortal souls. You know, I'm trying to do a little accent there. And then he says, you know, you, 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 you know you can't read. And then his response is, it's the Bible. You get credit for trying. <laughs> and isn't that the attitude? You know, I've been in the Word this week. Don't I get credit for trying? You know, even though I don't understand it all, don't I get credit for trying? It's like, it's like, this is a part of our culture. It's a part of our society. It's a part of our DNA in Adam. It, it, there's a, a commercial that they play every Christmas season. Uh, it's a little redheaded girl. She, she wakes up. It's Christmas morning, and she walks into the living room, and it's wall-to-wall presents. I mean, there's a car in the room. There's, there's, all, there's trains, great trains running around. I mean, just anything you can think of, right? And her, and her mom and dad kind of stumble, you know, they're awake, and they kind of stumble into the, into the living room, and the dad says, whoa. He says, that must have been some cookies you gave Santa. And she smiles and says, I didn't give Santa cookies. I gave him cheese, you know. 
And then you hear this voiceover say, ah, the power of cheese, you know. And that's the same idea, you know. If I perform well, then I'll be rewarded. If I perform well, I'll be accepted. And that's what we've grown up with, you know. He knows if you've been bad or good, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. That's the, that's the picture we have of God, that he's ready, to, he's ready to take away the presence from us if we haven't been good enough this week. Problem is that we could never be good enough. The problem is that, that we, say we, we get credit for it. No, the only credit that we get is the credit that is applied to us because of what Jesus accomplished. And what Jesus did in his righteousness, that's the credit that we receive that is accounted to us, that is, that is actually put upon our ledger. This is the default settings that God wants for us, the height, the length, the breadth, the depth of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And that's why the Bible teaches us that we are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter 1. That we're accepted in the beloved. And that word accepted doesn't mean, all right, come on in, you know, I'll accept you. No, that, that word means that you are highly favored, highly blessed, incredibly blessed in the beloved. You know, uh, the name that God chose to break the silence of heaven on two occasions when, when the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't say, this is my son Jesus in whom I'm well pleased, or this is my son the Messiah in whom I'm well No, he called his son by the dearest name that he could, Beloved. And he calls us by that same name, Beloved. Because when we're in Christ, we are just as much loved. The Father, John 17, verse 26 says, The Father himself loves you with the same love that he has toward me. That, Beloved, is the key to understanding all this and, and entering into the rest of God. Didn't Jesus talk about that? He said, all of you who are tired of trying to labor underneath this yoke. Remember the, the word that Paul used about this bondage? A yoke is, is something that, that they would put on beasts of burden and make them, control them, make them do what, 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 what the master wanted to do. But Jesus says something else. He says, come to me, all of you that are weary and tired and you're burnt out. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, when we're connected to Christ, when we are linked to him, the ability to do and the ability to be, well, well, we become, instead of becoming human doings, we become human beings. We become what God created us to be, conformed to the image of his son, instead of becoming human doings who are based upon performance. Here's my advice to you this morning. It's simply this. Become obsessed with Jesus. Look to him. Fix your eyes upon him. Search the scriptures to find him, not to get credit for reading the Bible, but search the scriptures to discover how magnificent and how beautiful and how splendid he is. And when you do that, when, when you fix your eyes on him, there's a transforming power that takes place. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, as we behold in, the, in the, the mirror, the image of the invisible God, we're being changed from one degree of glory to the next because of the love of God. You know, in Galatians 2.20, I didn't write the scripture, but 
But, but it was so key to understanding Paul, this man who had a checkered past, who had a past, I mean, forget about it. If anybody, you know, deserved to have been punished, right? But, but God shows him as a pattern of his mercy and grace. He said, he said this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And, and this is the key. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Could you say that this morning? Could you say that Jesus Christ has loved you and has given himself for you? To personally put your name in there. And if you can do that, then you've been set free. Only stand firm in this liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And don't be entangled again in a performance mindset, in the default setting of the human heart that believes I'm accepted. God, you owe me because I've, I've, I've been doing good this week. Let me, get, let me, t- let me show you what the... The simplicity of the key is to staying free this morning. Found in two little verses in the little book called Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Just just two simple verses at the end. Number one, he says, in verse 21, he says, he says, keep yourself in the love of God. And then it goes on to say, looking to our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep yourself. That word keep means to guard your hearts, guard, to garrison, to protect, like a fort. Build a fort around your heart in the love of God. Because when you do that, he links that to this most important close. And he says in verse 24, he says, for he will keep you from falling. Jesus is the one who will keep you from falling from grace into legalism. If you will keep yourself in the love of God, he will keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. You see, we are never more highly favored than when we are in Christ right now. Not someday in the future, but right now. Never more accepted, never more loved by the unconditional love of God. See, I know that I am unconditionally loved by God, because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that he delights in me. And when I say me, I mean for those of you who are in Christ, it's true of, of me, it's true of you, that he, he likes you. He really likes you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. In fact, he rejoices over you. In fact, he not only rejoices over you, but Zephaniah 3.17 says that he rejoices over you with song, with singing. My, my bud Noah's over there, right? And, and, and Emma, my firstborn grandson and my firstborn granddaughter. Crazy about the both of those guys. Love them to pieces. Do anything for them, right? Isn't that right? That's right. I don't know if they would do anything for me. Can, if I, I called you guys up here right now, would you come and sing over me? I kind of had the feeling that, that a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, nah, I ain't going to do that, not publicly. But I got to tell you something. God is not ashamed to publicly, before an assembled universe, sing over us with joy. 
and singing. Because he delights in us. We were made by, I mean, what is the essence of God? The Bible says that God is love. We were, we were made by love for love. And, th- and there is a chasm in these hearts of ours that only God can fill. That only the love of God can fill. And when the love of God fills that heart and you know that you are unconditionally loved, not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of the worthiness of Jesus and that he covers us and that, and that is just so good that he covers us and we're accepted in the beloved and that we are favored in the beloved. I mean, that, that is just so good that now what happens to us is, is, is the, very, the very thing that Paul is, is talking about. L- listen to what he says. I'll just read this for you uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you brothers were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, he says, is summed up in one command. You shall love your neighbor. Love one another. You understand what, what, what I'm saying at the end here is that if you will allow the love of God to transform your heart and your life in Christ, then, then it will be the love of God that will compel you. It will be the love of God that will lead you. It will be the love of God and the Holy Spirit who will guide you into doing the will of God so that you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Rather, you'll experience what it means to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Staying free by standing firm in the love of God. Stay free by standing firm in the love of God. Don't let the devil bring you down by becoming a Pharisee or by leading you into temptation. But be free in the freedom wherewith Christ has set us free. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness, that empowers us to live this life in the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come this morning, that you would search through this congregation today, Lord. If there's anyone here, Lord God, that's not made a commitment to Christ, that today, Lord Jesus, you will save them, you will draw them to yourself, you will reveal your splendid loveliness and your, your majesty to them. So I pray this morning, Father God, for those that are in Christ, that they would truly walk in freedom, that they would stand firm in this liberty that is in Christ Jesus, this wonderful, glorious freedom. I know it's so scary sometimes to be so totally free, but you require that we walk in this choice, making this choice of of preferring you and putting your kingdom first. So bless, Lord God, this time. And as we close in worship this morning, may the Holy Spirit come upon us in power. May the Holy Spirit come upon us in resetting the default settings of our heart to the gospel of grace. And we all said together, amen.